Welcome to the Lon Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We're excited to launch off on another episode today, connecting the dots between the world in which we live and how we got here. And so much of what we've been talking about, I think, has been eye-opening. Of course, it's not our our uh, information. Uh, a lot of this has been compiled in this book we've been talking about, the book that made your world. Uh, it really just helping us realize that uh, we we live in a world with certain ideas and certain things that we consider just the norm, but this has not always been the norm, and uh, and that the foundation and the root and the seedbed of, of so much of what we experience just as the normal air in which we breathe as Americans came from, voila, the Bible. The Bible, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and our Christian worldview. Yeah. And uh, so we talked about literature. We talked about our idea of uh, heroism. We talked about literacy uh, and so many of these things that, uh, again, are just things that we promote, even the most secular of organizations promote today. And it's like, wait a minute, where did these come from? So I think it's good for us today because we're going to talk about education. He asked the question, why educate your subjects or the masses, right? Um, and it's a great, great question to ask. Yeah. You know, a little trivia. I did, I did a little homework today because we would consider America kind of the educational leader in the world, right? Uh, any guess at how many American colleges slash universities uh, are, are currently operating right now in America today? Man, probably thousands. I mean... Uh... Tons. Yeah, you ready for this? So, so, and I thought this is actually, I thought more, but this is a lot. 6,000 mm. different choices for college, you know, so that's pretty crazy. And globally, I looked up how many colleges and universities in the world today? There are 25,000 plus mm. colleges and universities in the world. Now, if you, if you uh, rewind human history and go back, say, you know, 500 to 1,000 years, um, you're not going to be looking at a world like that. You're going to be looking at, at uh, a very tiny amount, right, of, of educational institutions, um, just a fraction. They're not going to be attended by the masses. They're going to be only for the elite, the elite of the elite. Uh, and, um, and what you'll find if you go back far enough is that you'll never find uh, a university apart from a church. Uh, the, the church and higher education, we're, we're hand in glove. Yeah. And, um, and again, this is something that we look at today, because as we talked about, our universities are so poisonous, so hostile toward uh, the Christian faith. Uh, but most of them, if you go back and you look at their roots, you'll find that they have very strong Christian roots, and they came from the church. This, this book has been very, very subversive. It's turned my thinking towards so many institutions upside down, right? And when I saw the, the title of the chapter, which is, uh, university, why educate your subjects? I knew that was going to be controversial because, like you said, uh, the last place that I want um, that that is a is a Christian influence or it's uh, reflecting the, the glory of God or, or Christianity is universities right yeah, now. Yeah. It, in many ways, it's the polar opposite. Yeah. So I'm like, ah, another another institution we have lost our roots. Yes. So let's go back and find yeah. our roots. So so great point. Let's let's we know where the how bad things have gotten today, yeah. but let's let's rewind the tape and and kind of take a, a look here at the very beginning. I love him, you know, because he's Indian by by. Uh, by uh, nature, birth, yeah. by birth, and um, uh, and so he looks at the transformation of his own continent, 
in terms of how they got to be educated. I like what he says. He says, soldiers and merchants do not educate. In other words, when you come in and you conquer a nation, the goal of soldiers is not let's educate the masses or uh, merchants who are, are trading. Uh, they're not thinking about how do we get everybody to speak the same language so we can all work together. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's got, there had to be a greater impulse behind why would, you know, when, when, when you land on the, the continent of, of India, you know, and you're looking at, it, I've been there many, many times, we have a longstanding relationship, as you know, there's still much poverty, mm-hmm. um, much disease, um, it, it is, it, India is still with billions and billions of people because of Hinduism, very, very backward. And he talks, he talks in the chapter here about the reason why there was no vision for education, and it goes back to their worldview. Yeah. And we talked about this in previous episodes. Yeah, I mean, because the world is uh, illusion, yeah. a maya. Uh, there's, no, yeah. there's, no, there's no impetus to study, to master, to learn about it, to grow if, in it. If yeah. everything around you is maya, an illusion, yeah. why would you pursue the knowledge of what is an illusion or what doesn't right. really exist? And so... Right. As you said, there's no there's no worldview that sustains even the uh, uh, a, a culture for learning or or for investigation or for science. We're going to get into science next in our next yeah. podcast. There would be no science if there was not a a world that was discoverable. Yeah. And so the the Hindu uh, worldview encourages you to empty your mind, kill the mind, and not focus on anything around you because it's all an illusion. So why would there be an, any any motivation? for people to learn or to grow. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why he said there, there, there was no impetus in their worldview to create uh, universities. That was the Christian worldview. And I like this. You know, there's always the two kingdoms at work. Great Britain obviously saw incredible economic opportunities in India. Mm-hmm. And so we have the uh, East India, you know, uh, uh, what was that the phrase the 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 company basically that was pr- promoting uh, uh, private commerce yeah uh, and then you had the evangelical missionary effort and it was the evangelicals who said wait a minute how can we just come here and exploit this country and these people yeah. for economic gain um, and not have any kind of compassion to raise them out of the incredible circumstances in which they find themselves I mean poverty disease a lack of opportunity of course a caste system. Uh, uh, the Hindu gods that they're all trying to please and everything else that was going on, all the superstition. Um, in fact, a, a, an incredibly great study is to study the life of William Carey, in, in the great missionary to India, and what he ran into when he landed on the shores of, of that nation. I mean, it was, it was dark, great, great darkness. Um, and so anyway, it was, it, so, so I like this because you hear a lot of anti-colonialism and look what Christianity did, Christianity as the great exploiter. But as we've seen, the truth is Christianity, genuine Christianity, was the great uplifter and liberator uh, and recognized that education was important for freedom. And we talked a little bit about that. But let's, let's take a look at some of the, the he, he mentioned some of the, the greats, uh, Christians who made a huge impact. And a British evangelicals, Charles, Charles Grant uh, when he arrived in India, uh, they were experiencing a deadly famine that literally killed millions of people. And he's looking around at the at the loss of life and all the pain and all the suffering. And as a Christian, he says, wait a minute, you know, this is not how God created it. This is not how God intended it to be. And he realized that it was the worldview that needed to be changed if true economic prosperity could happen. Talk a little bit about that, you know, because we're, we're trying to promote, for instance... Uh, 
democracy in right. fundamentally Islamic countries. Why are these things destined to fail? Like, how come we just can't go in and say, hey, let's let's create, you know, a business opportunity for you wonderful uh, Hindu people. Yeah. Why is it not going to work? Yeah, because they need to sustain themselves. And to sustain it themselves, you need behavior change. And to have behavior change, you need a renewal of your mind. Right. So, so these Christians, these evangelicals understand the power of renewing the mind, I mean, even from the scripture, yeah. and do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing your mind. So, so that's why they focused on education. They realized true educational institutions, again, a lot originate from the scripture, using scripture as a backdrop for education, is the, the key to build independence and freedom for, our pe for their people so that they no longer would be uh, captured by colonialists, right? right? right. They, they connected those powerful dots and they say, you know what, our goal is to give them a, a language they can easily use and yep. that, that, that they can communicate with all the different tribes and different groups and they need education. Right. And that education obviously was rooted in a Judeo-Christian worldview. And so then you have people like William Wilberforce, who's, you know, one of our heroes. Um, here's the word I was looking for, the British East India Company. Right. Uh, it was like a big corporate yeah, yeah, big, yeah, overlord they, that yeah. kind of controlled everything. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and obviously their interests were primarily economic. Yeah. These are the ones who historically have been fighting missionary efforts the most. Now, why, do, why would, cor we'll use it in America, why would corporate America yeah. be fighting against Christian values? In their situation, why would the East, British East India Company be against education in India? Yeah, because they don't want us. they don't want people to have freedom. They want people to be quote unquote enslaved and and become the the economic pieces for their for their engine, you know. And whereas the the evangelicals come in and say, no, we need to give them freedom. We need to empower them. Education is the best way to empower them. But I want to make this very clear. Right now, empowerment and education and democracy seems like such liberal progressive values. Right. But these guys connected dot and say we value those things because of the Bible. We value yeah. freedom because of the Bible. We value education because of the gospel so that people can read the gospel and that's how they can be truly free. So we lost that for Well and you brought up a good point. It wasn't just literacy, because we promote literacy. Once you can read it's important to know what you're reading because yeah. ideas have consequences. Right. As we shared before, the people driving the, the whole literacy thing and even a common language were Christians, and the number one book that was put in people's hands was the Bible. And yeah. so they understood, and, and so did the, uh, the East India Company, they right. understood that if we teach these Hindu folks to read and we train them in a biblical worldview then they will have a vision for freedom. And if they have a vision for freedom, they'll not allow themselves to be enslaved. Yeah. Well, that's not necessarily good news when you're trying to exploit people economically. Right. So for 20 years, and we had, we had this group called the Clapham Sect, which is, an, and I have another great book on that, gr on that group. These were all people, evangelicals, uh, influential evangelicals, wealthy evangelicals who gathered together and really worked to move a Christian worldview forward. They attacked slavery. They attacked the economic exploitation. They promoted literacy. They promoted a biblical view of the world. They promoted getting the Bible into the hands of these people. They promoted uh, Christian and higher educational institutions, and they fought for 20-plus years against the, the power brokers in Britain. Yeah, I thought it was so interesting because, you know, obviously I read uh, the book Wilberforce by uh, Aaron Metaxas, and, and that's just... A such yeah. an interesting picture, that whole journey. I mean, it was decades of battle against the slave trade, right? Yep. But 
Meanwhile, on the along parallel track, I mean, Wilberforce wasn't just like doing one, who wasn't a one trick a pony. He was other people, other Christians were coming engaging with these crucial issues. So he was engaged. He's writing letters. He tried to pass a bill to help India, and they, it, it failed in the, in the House of Lords, and yep. all these drama. And I, I and and it just gave me such a picture of what this Clapton sect was trying to do to really reform the world for the better for the gospel. I mean, those guys are awesome. They're they're oh. changing. They're renewing the world one legislation think about at that. a time. Two decades of just going after it, fighting. Yeah, uh, I, I love what Charles Grant said. He said the true cure for darkness is the introduction of light. And so he's looking at these nations steeped in darkness because there's no knowledge of God. And he says, if we want to truly liberate them, it's going to have to be with the gospel. So these are evangelical, you know, cultural warriors that are setting the example for us today. Because sometimes I think we're like, Christians are like, let's just stay out of these battles because they're contentious and... Uh, and, uh, you know, who wants to get all messy in these fights? It's hard, and you're not going to be liked, and, you know, all these kinds of things. Right. It's like... Your church attendance might decrease, and yeah. people might get offended in your church. Let's just and, preach the gospel. Yeah. And it's like when, when William Carey, who's another another name mentioned, and I used to... I went back, I looked in my notes, I had... This was from the youth group when I was a, a youth pastor, uh, November 26th of 02. I did a message on the life and legacy of William Carey because I was so powerfully impacted. <laughs> Ministry, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they need I mean, to I got study my notes history. right here. You gotta know their history. Yeah, absolutely. But but Carrie basically challenged the church, who at yeah. the time was steeped in kind of a fatalistic uh, 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 hyper Calvinism. It simply said, if God wants to save those people in India, then He'll just do it because He's sovereign. Mm-hmm. And Carrie said, Wait a minute. Sure, God's sovereign, but He needs He needs people that are willing to go and preach the gospel and share the good news and. And, you know, when he arrived, they were burning widows. You know, that was the practice. If you died, then Debbie was still alive. Too bad for Debbie. She's put on top of your funeral uh, casket there and burned alive so she could join you in the next life and and serve you, throwing children into the Ganges River as sacrifices, being eaten by crocodiles who were worshipped, and uh, just all kinds of crazy, wicked, demonic things. And this is the India that when William Carey steps foot on the shore, this is what he ran into. And his legacy uh, in India is absolutely crazy what he accomplished. Let me just hit a few of the things here. Um, he worked for seven and a half years translating the New Testament into Bengali. Mm-hmm. He translated a portion of the Bible into over 40 different languages. Um, this was amazing to me because they call him the plotter. You know, he just plotted uh, one step, one, one foot in front of the other. He, uh, on March 11, 1812, after 20 years of work, a fire broke out and destroyed 20 years of oh, irreplaceable translation work. Oh, my goodness. And you know what he did the next morning? Start translating. He started translating. He again. didn't take a vacation. He first. didn't take a vacation. No, he didn't. I would take a vacation. He didn't need a quiet time. Yeah. He, you know, no. Uh, he so, just, so stop a second here. So he's a linguist. He's a linguist by trade, right? <laughs> I mean, linguist. I want to be a linguist when I grow up. You know, you, you, you know. I want to be an awesome <laughs> well, pastor. He's actually a cobbler. He fixed shoes before. That's what he did. He repaired shoes before mm-hmm. he went on the mission field. Right, but I mean, but he he was a study. He went to university. He taught. He was a linguist, but he he had a skill set of linguist. And you just think these skill set. You're like. Yeah. What's the big deal? You know, I want to be a great, awesome megachurch pastor, or whatever. These linguists have changed the history of the world more yes, than yeah. more than because of because they saw what was actually needed for the for the society at the time. Oh, that's and a great they, point. And the and power of language, the, the skill set he had. He was a nerd. 
But he yeah. used that nerd ability <laughs> to change the world in that powerful way, right? So, so anyway, so listen to this. Yeah. He started over 100 schools for national students with nearly yeah. 7,000 students attending. Yeah. How powerful is that? He founded a Christian university. Uh, he helped end infanticide, the throwing of babies into crocodile-infested Ganges River. Yeah. He also helped in the practice of sodding where wives were burned to death on, at their deceased husband's funeral pyre. So, I mean, that, what he did was absolutely incredible, and, and none of it was easy. I mean, no. it, was, it, every, it was against the, with the wind in his face every step of the way. So anyway, then we get to, to uh, he's kind of going historically here. He's talking about the Bible and European education. Yeah, saying this, this whole process is not just in India. India right. was just one case study. Right. But the, the and, overall he, and he refutes the idea that a lot of our seculars put forward now, that, that education was kind of a Greek and Roman right. idea. Uh, again, that was not true. It was only a tiny group of elites, elites. and that was usually done in, in home. It was not an institution that was created. He makes right. the point here that illiteracy was the norm in most of the world until the missionary movement began transforming right. Be, the world. Because the elites wants to keep the power in their hands. Yep. Again, least, going back to the, the, the gospel says, you know what, we want to democratize. We want everyone to understand the Bible. We want everyone to come to salvation. We want to give the wealth to everybody, right? But, but the world system is we're going to keep the power among the elite so no one can stand. So that's why educating the masses is a gospel idea. Right? Absolutely. And, and in particular, a missionary idea. Mm -hmm. So when you get to another country, why is it that you want these people to be able to read? Mm -hmm. And I love what John Piper says. I pulled this quote because it's one of my favorites. He says, we as Christians, we are a people of the book. We know God through mm -hmm. a book. We meet Christ in the book. We see the cross in the book. Our faith and love are kindled by the glorious truths of the book. We have tasted the divine majesty of the word, and we are persuaded that the book is God's inspired and infallible written revelation. Therefore, what the book teaches matters, and because we are a people of the book, mm -hmm. and because we learn about Jesus through the book, and we experience salvation through the book, uh, it is critical that people learn to read, first of all, so that they can read the truth that is contained in the book and and thereby be born again, experience Amen. everything God intended them to know and enjoy and to experience, to live their lives properly before God and to spend eternity with God. This, is, this was the burning passion of these missionaries. They understood that the masses, apart from Christ and salvation, are going to experience an eternity separated from, from God. Um, and that was unconscionable for them, and therefore they said we, we must have these people have a language that they can all communicate with each other for the spread of the gospel, but why? Because we want them to have the Bible and the truths of the Bible in their hands so that they could read that and, and, uh, and be transformed by it. So you, you quickly see if that is the, the prime motivating factor this is why people endured, like Carrie, endured incredible hardship uh, for the sake of translating the Bible into the language of the people so that they could be born again. Uh, what a powerful driving force. And I don't know, if you don't have, if you don't have, you know, like the, the, the merchant world or the military world or whatever other mission that you're embracing does not have that kind of passion behind it. Uh, only, only the Christian missionary um, movement could create uh, that type of persistence in the face of such opposition and resistance. And so we get to, uh, uh, I thought this was interesting, he was talking about the, the word in, in Kerala, which is a major city in, in India, the word for school literally means the building next to the church. Uh, because 
the church and education were synonymous. And if you wanted to find the school, oh, it was ne- it was the building next to the church. So there's even a word in the Indian language that means the building next to the church. That's what school means. Yeah, and again, that that just talks about the ties to education, right? Of, of education to Christianity that was so intertwined into consciousness. Yeah, just part of the part of their language. Like it came from Christianity. That this type of uh, pro. Uh, uh, a pr- proliferation of education. Yes. You know, it just it didn't exist before even ev- evangelical Christian came to the scene. But again, we have lost all that. We have forgotten all of that. Yes. Right? So let's let's move on. So we yeah. got about the Bible and European culture, yeah. and he talks about Augustine and and Cassidorus, uh, uh, Bothius, some folks yeah. that we probably should go back and, and read and learn more yeah. about. But then we Don't get to the yeah. to the Reformation, and he talks about Martin Luther, and, and Martin Luther was huge on the need to reform the universities. Uh, He he said, uh, to reform the universities, the Bible would need to be placed at the center of curriculum. Let's talk a little bit about that, because, you know, the whole idea between a university, multiversity, what is so unique about uh, the Bible as it relates to truth and to this whole concept of university? Yeah, I think we... We talked about some of this before, you know, university, union means one, meaning there's, there's a coherent theme, view, theme worldview, there's a coherent uh, process that ties everything all together. And that itself being God. God, well, there's one God, one creator. There's not multiple gods and multiple deities. There's one God. And because it's, there's a coherence, we can study it. We can have a university. Yeah. So when I went off, and, and you can maybe relate, both of us have had our had our uh, year spent in higher education. When I went off to Regent University, of course, I was raised in a, a what is now a secular public educational system. Um, when I went off to Regent University, what amazed me, and and intrigued me, and and lured me, uh, and almost kept me as a professional student was the beauty of the fact that every single discipline, so they had degrees in education, they had degrees in government, they had degrees in law, they had degrees in theology, you know, they had all the different schools, right? Mm-hmm. But, the, but the thing that united every school and every area of study was Christ. Mm-hmm. So if you study government, it was a Christ-centered view of government. If you studied law, it was a Christ-centered view of law. Yeah. If you studied education, it was a Christ-centered view of education. Every single subject matter was integrated with Jesus Christ as the blazing center. And I was just, so, I mean, I told somebody, if it hadn't been for, for the pressure of like, what are you going to do with your life? I would have just stayed and got, you know, like 10 <laughs> master's degrees because I, like, who doesn't want to learn about law from a government pers- or from a Christ-centered perspective? Yeah. I do. I've, that, that was intriguing to me because all of, all of that had been removed. And as you pointed out, the current uh, system of public higher education is not a university. There's nothing holding it together. It's a multiversity full of a hodgepodge of different ideologies. So depending on what c- class you're taking with what professor, yep. you could be taught from a Hindu per- perspective, a Marxist perspective, an atheist perspective. Um, there's all kinds of, uh, of weird, bizarre perspectives that you could, you know, templates that are put over certain subject matter. Yeah. And there is no semblance at all of any uni in any university today that's not Christian. Yeah. Uh, and it's really a tragedy. And so this, I got a great quote here by Luther. He was very prophetic because he could see uh, what we're experiencing today. 
He said, I am much afraid that the universities will prove to be the great gates of hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures and engraving them in the hearts of youth. I advise no one to place his child where the Scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not unceasingly occupied with the Word of God must become corrupt. Mm. Whoa, talk about a politically incorrect statement. Um, but think about that. I mean, he got it. He said if, we're, if, if the gospel, if the truth of scriptures, if Jesus Christ is not the, the hub of the wheel, that institution will inevitably be corrupted. And so what we have now, we have universes, we have the shell, we have the concept that has been completely gutted of the essence. Um, there's nothing uh, in our public universities that honors Christ, honors the Word. In fact, they're very hostile places of anything that is Christian. Um, and uh, and I've, I'm afraid, that, again, that Luther's words have become prophetic. He understood that in the absence of a coherent worldview, all you're going to have in secular education is fragmented knowledge, and, and that's what we have today, totally fragmented knowledge. And so people become specialists. You go, all right, I'm not going to get a I'm not going to get a Christ-centered worldview. I'm just going to learn economics so that I can get a get a job. Well, I, I think the the hard sciences still has a degree of uh, well, I, I'm gonna call it like centeredness because those hard sciences were studying principles that's created by God. But now you dive into like intersexual whatever, whatever studies and then this, this study, this studies and these, these random major classes is just like they're inventing whatever it is because there's no centrality. There's no coherence. They're like promoting you, their worldview. Yeah, they're just coming up with their own study. I mean, if you study physics, you still got to abide by the natural law. So there's at least some restriction to that. But when you get into these other studies, just like what? Like, how is that? You just made that up. That's not conforming to anything outside. It's coming from within you. So we're yeah. studying you and your perspective and not something that's tethered to reality. And I think yeah. it's important. Somebody's, you know, you, you hear a lot of students so say, well, you know, we don't want you to bring really in anything religious into this paper, for instance. Well, any assignment that's espousing any subject matter is coming from a worldview that's not neutral. Every, there's a yeah. worldview behind every subject matter. So the whole idea when we talk about, well, don't be religious. Well, the statement, don't be religious, is a, a religious statement. It's a statement that's it's encouraging you to reject religion as the foundation of your worldview yeah. uh, or reject religion, period, which is coming from an anti-religious, religious worldviews. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's the myth of neutrality again, right? You know, something's going to be taught in an educational setting that's coming from someone's presuppositional worldview, yeah. right? And, and so you can't skirt the religious question because every worldview is religious. What we should be asking is what is true and what makes the most sense? And so back to Luther, Luther basically said we've got to, we've got to get all the, the atheists—at that time it was Aristotle and a lot of those uh, uh, non-Christian philosophers that were filling our university, Christian universities, and Luther said, these guys got to go. We can, keep, we can keep logic and we can keep some of these things, but, the, but their worldview has got to go. Yeah. Uh, and so in addition to reforming lots of other things, he was reforming higher education as well. Yeah. Let's talk about women, though, because it, it, once again, Christianity and education and all this, uh, it, we're viewed as uh, 
you know, squashers of women. We don't value women. We limit women, all these kinds of things. And again, it could not be farther from the truth. We, we, he, in this book, he talks about the na- nation of Turkey. He talks about Korea. He lists uh, some of the reformers there, women who started schools for women to educate women. And we ask the question again, in, in, in most of the world that viewed women as certainly lesser than men, that used women, abused women, objectified women, uh, viewed women as simply servants, right, who existed to serve men, Why, where did this crazy idea come from that women should be educated just like men? Yeah. Uh, and basically... It comes from two places. It comes from the belief that men and women are created in the image and likeness of God, yeah. and therefore women bear the same inherent dignity and worth and value that, that, that men bear, uh, that men and women both should live for the glory of God. So how in the world can a woman live for the glory of God if she's not trained and educated just like a man to know who she is, to know who God is, to know who her, what her gifts are, and how she could use those gifts to magnify and glorify the Lord. Mm -hmm. So again, it comes from our worldview. We're like, hey, wait a minute. Women share an equal dignity and value and worth as men do, Mm -hmm. and therefore they should receive the same educational opportunities. Um, So anyway, all of this goes back to our Christian roots, uh, and it's important that we we highlight these things. Um, uh, He talks about, for instance, uh, moving beyond the elite, the whole Sunday school movement. A radical movement. In fact, we still have, you know, you grew up a good Southern oh, Baptist yeah. boy. You had so, Sunday school class. Absolutely, yeah. Where did that come from? It came from a man who was looking at the streets full of kids whose parents were uh, hung over with alcohol, you know, uh, family breakdown, all kinds of perversion, cultural brokenness, saying we've got to do something about these kids because the children were ending up in prison and experiencing, you know, all prison do, it wasn't reforming them, it right. was just destroying them. Right. And, uh, and a guy named Robert Rakes said, wait a minute, we need to be doing something to help these kids. And that's where he, they began teaching children biblical principles that were not being taught in their homes. Yeah. And that whole uh, homes- or, uh, Sunday, Sunday school, school movement, movement right. changed the world. Uh, and we still have Sunday school in many churches, uh, many denominations across America. Yeah, I thought America. this... Quote yeah. that you mentioned to me was super interesting here. You can go ahead. Yeah, this, well, this is interesting. Uh, just tying, educating women and Christian worldview to say an Islamic worldview. Uh, on on April the fourteenth, a lot of us have remembered this in the news. Uh, 20, 2014, a terrorist Islamic group called Boko Haram kidnapped two hundred and seventy girls, mostly between the ages of sixteen and eighteen. Uh, from a secondary school in northeast Nigeria. Now, that's uh, the south of Nigeria is mostly Christian. The north of Nigeria is Muslim. Uh, this is interesting. The name Boko Haram means Western education is sinful. Mm. So their whole movement is an attack on Western education. Well, what's so unique about Western education? Well, it's Christian and it actually believes that girl, these young girls should be educated just like the boys. Right. Well, they say, no, that's, that should not happen. They're, they're, uh, they're Muslim. Uh, they say here, Western education should end and girls should go and get married. He warned he would give their hands in marriage because they are our slaves. We want them to marry out. Imagine this, at the age of nine. So a little girl at the age of nine given to a man who's basically going to treat her like a slave. Um, and that's why all these girls were being kidnapped and still are being kidnapped today. Now, that is an Islamic sect 
that believes that women should be, young girls should be married at the age of nine and should basically spend the rest of their lives as slaves for men. Yeah. Um, and so they attack all these Christian schools filled with girls, and um, uh, and again, horrific things happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard of Boko Haram before, but I didn't know what that's what it meant. And it's like clear in the face. It's like this is a worldview class targeted at the propagation of uh, education. They call it Western education, but basically educating the people that they feel like they shouldn't be educated. Yeah. It's going back to the days when we talk about um, uh, Tyndale being burned at burn yep. at the state for the, the, the terrible crime of translating the Bible so everyone can read it. And these, these are all things that points back to the, the battle that Christians had to fight to get education into the mainstream. So here's yeah. the tragedy. Yeah. And you and I talked about this. Maybe we can end with this. Yeah. The tragedy is all this hard work, all rooted in a desire to glorify God. In fact, you know, to go back to the roots, the goal of education was to train young people in the knowledge of God and equip them for a lifelong service of the Lord. That was the goal of all education, not mm -hmm. Christian education. There wasn't Christian wasn't used as an adjective. The only education that was taking place was Christian education, yeah. because we believe in it. The rest of the world was, you know, in slavery to illiteracy and being dominated and controlled by the powerful elite. Yeah. And so Christianity liberates, Christianity democratizes, yeah. Christianity cares for, you know, he talks about uh, schools for the deaf and the blind. Yeah. The Romans used the deaf and the blind for gallery slaves and for prostitutes. So imagine your daughter's born blind, she's left alone, you know, uh, on the streets because she wouldn't have been welcomed. If somebody takes her, turns her into a prostitute, and your daughter, who's blind, is a prostitute mm -hmm. for the rest of her life. You know, I mean, it was Christians who who elevated all this, and now we have, now we have a a, a public university situation across the globe that is that basically espouses perversion, every kind of God-hating ideology. Uh, I mean, it it just breaks my heart to see that the labors of all of these great saints before us uh, are now be, their labors are being used against us, so to speak. Yeah. And, um, you know, I look at some of the, the founding of, of our country. For instance, this is stunning. 106 out of the first 108 colleges in America were founded for the glory of God and for, and for the gospel. 106. Many of these, as you know, because uh, you came from the East Coast, these were Ivy League schools. Um, John Dickinson, the first president of Princeton, said, Cursed be all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. Mm. What, a, what a radical statement. The founders of Yale said, every student shall consider the main end of his study. So why are we studying? The main end of your study is to know God in Jesus Christ and to answerably lead a godly, sober life. So the whole purpose of this university is to teach you to know God through Christ and teach you to live a godly life. I mean, that, that was the purpose of education. Um, our founders understood the relationship between freedom and morality, and they recognized that the only basis for morality was Jesus Christ and the Scripture. So as you pointed out right at the start of this podcast, if we're going to live as free people, it is impossible to sustain our government, our form of government, our, our lives as Americans, apart from the foundation of freedom, which is Jesus Christ and the morality that comes from the Scriptures mm -hmm. and the self-governing 
that happens when Christians come under the rule and reign of Jesus and his kingdom. Absolutely. If that does not happen, if we raise a generation of pagans who simply live for themselves, have no, no uh, uh, knowledge of God, no love for God, uh, which is where America is moving right now, you're going to see it all fall apart. You're going to see a great unraveling of our, of our social fabric, and that's exactly what's happening. And I would argue, and I know you would share my opinion on this, that much of this is rooted to the fact that we've lost higher education and education in general. Um, we, are, are, we are not teaching our children the foundational principles for why America has been the exceptional, exceptional nation that we've been. And at the same time, it's also kind of a blueprint to restoring nations is going back through the channels of education because I have a bad taste of education in my heart because of everything we're seeing but now that I'm realizing that the the roots of education is from a gospel centric idea to change nations I'm like maybe we need to go back and reform education yeah. or take or, or or really take those principles and democratize it once again whatever that looks like and just you know I would say a big hearty amen because as I was reading this chapter it it, I just kept thinking, Lord, are we doing enough to to capture the minds of our students? You know, sure. Paul, Paul Vitz said this. He said, we're being taxed to support schools that are systematically systematically liquidating our most cherished beliefs. Mm. Yep. So we're the, the insult of all insult is we're being taxed. I know where the government is taking yeah, our money. Public university. To, yeah, to support the institutions that are liquidating the most cherished beliefs of yeah. our students, and actually they're, they're a big part of the problem. That's why I applaud what Governor DeSantis is doing with educational reform in the state of Florida. Um, he, he, is, he is being like a Martin Luther in that state. He is saying we must get all of this poison, toxic, anti-American, anti-God uh, curriculum out of our schools because we will, you know, he's connecting the dots. We will lose America. Mm -hmm. And, um, and again, it makes me ask the question, Lord, you know, what would you have us to do? We have some good uh, Christian um, schools in our area. We have, we have some couple of great co-ops, you know, meeting, homeschool co-ops meeting in our building. But for me, being committed to Christian education is a non-negotiable for any of us who are our leaders in the church and in, in, uh, and, and, uh, and in our communities and wanting to see uh, a Christian worldview formed in our students and then the blessing of that on our nation. So you can't be a reformer if you don't deal with education. One last quote, yeah, Joseph absolutely. Stalin, education is a weapon whose effects depend on who holds it in his hands and at whom it is aimed. <laughs> uh, if anybody understood about the power of propaganda and taking over education for a wicked cause, yeah. it would be Joseph Stalin and the communists. Interesting we close on his quote. Yeah, yeah. so, and again, back to Luther, that our schools would become great places of hell, yeah. you know, uh, wickedness, if if truth is in Christ is removed from our school. So Lord, help us. And I just, uh, I, I pray that those who are watching would share the same burden with us, that we would know what our children are learning, that we'd be involved in education at every level, uh, and that we would obviously be committed to making sure that our, our kids' minds are not poisoned by antichrist and anti-God education, and that every time you go around and you look at one of the 6,000 universities in America and you look at 25,000 universities across the globe, that in your mind, as a result of this podcast, you would say, none of those would be no. here. None of those would exist if it were not for the Christian missionary impulse that was rooted in a biblical worldview. So we have so much to be thankful for. 
and so and the legacy of uh, of so many who have gone before us and given us the world in which we live. Uh, we hope that it helps you recover this truth and then live the truth. So. Thanks for watching. Like us, share it, spread the word abroad, and uh, we'll look forward. Next week's going to be an exciting podcast. We're getting into the topic of science. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, you're, I'm going to lean on you on this yeah. next, and I'm just going to sit and throw out some questions, and I'll just say, educate me, Pastor Andrew. All right, love you guys. We'll see you next week.